Well, welcome to our Jesus Ethics series. Uh, Tonight, we're specifically looking at Jesus living on the margins, Um, Jesus' heart for the marginalized. Now, if we think of margins, I don't know if the first thing you think of is like Microsoft Word and, you know, getting your margins sort of all set up there or whatever your word processor is, um, pages if you're on Apple, um, but, or, or if you're really old school, you know, the lined college rule and you have your specific margins and your, that's oftentimes what I think of. But when we talk about margins, we think about things that are on the outside of the center of what we're looking at. Now, when we look at Jesus and living on the margins, one of the reasons why we're talking about this is because this was actually an accusation leveled at Jesus frequently. For example, when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners. This isn't like, how come he's thinking about dining with them? It's why is he doing it right now? The son of man came eating and drinking and they say, here's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. So he's not only eating with them, but he's friends with them. And apparently he is acting like them in some way because they're accusing him of being drunk and eating too much. Um, Jesus said to them, maybe they were at the wedding with the water to the wine thing, I'm not sure. Um, Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. These are aspects that when we think about Jesus, we often talk about how he loved the tax collectors and the sinners. He loved the prostitutes. But I'm just checking. I bet none of us here in this room would actually fit into any of those groups that Jesus was accused of spending a lot of time with. Maybe we did at one time, but y'all look pretty cleaned up right now. Pretty good. Unless somebody here works for the IRS. Out you go. No, I'm just joking. So in our world, and as we think about tax collectors and sinners and prostitutes, people who aren't somehow fitting into the community at large, the outcasts, the marginalized, in our world, who might those people be? Who are the marginalized? Well, I'm going to suggest that the marginalized are those who suffer. Injustice, inequality, and exploitation as they live their daily lives. The marginalized are those who suffer injustice, inequality, and exploitation as they live their daily lives. They lack the political and material resources to make their experience and their voices heard. The marginalized are those on the outside. In Jesus' day, most people... We're on the marginalized, outside. The higher upper class was a very small portion of the population. The rich, the leaders, the rulers, those who could issue those taxes, and all of those things. It was a small portion of the population of Jesus' day. Most of the people of Jesus' day are marginalized. Now, the marginalized are people who see and experience the world differently from those on the inside. Instead, they fully observe the language and experience of those on the inside but they don't experience that world. They're on the outside looking in. Those of us on the inside, and let's just say, if you and I have a roof over our heads this evening, if we have a warm meal to look forward to, if we have a bed that we get to get into, if we have some community that we're able to be in and living and supported among, we might not be amongst the marginalized. We might be spiritually marginalized. We might be deeply hurt and wounded as a result of things. But when we're talking about the marginalized, let's be honest, it probably doesn't exist too much in this room. At least not as we're talking about material possessions or social status or political status or an ability to exercise our voice to be heard. We live in a democratic society. Even when things are unfair, there's still some avenue for us to exercise some political will 
thank God. That hasn't always been the case in the United States, and it isn't always the case in all parts of the United States at all times. But it's a, it's a truth that we have a place where we can start to exercise our will. But the poorest of the poor amongst us in the United States, those who are of not the majority culture in the United States, often find themselves still on the outside looking in. Now, the interesting thing about those who are marginalized, they know the language of the culture of those on the inside because they listen to it. They watch it. They see people go out to dinner. They see people eat. The person you pass by, the homeless person on the street as you go to dinner, they know where you're going. They've seen a restaurant before. They know the language of those on the inside, but they're still on the outside looking in. The same is not true for those on the inside. We don't always know the language and the experience of those on the outside. And I think Jesus' ethic here that we're going to discover through his teachings is that he's pushing us to deeply get to know and experience life of the marginalized. So let's look at Luke chapter 18. Now, I've put this text up on the screen for you as well, but this is going to be a kind of dig into the text teaching, you know, unlike any other sermon you've ever heard at Spark. So um, if you would like a Bible, um, please take a few moments and grab one over there. We can have somebody pass them around. They're blue and they're great. Um, And so we have this Bible. It's actually, it's a book. I don't know if you've seen it before. It opens like this, left to right. A lot of words create sentences. Um, and so you can do that or you can read on your personal um, device, whatever that is, if you're Android or iPhone or whomever. All right, so Luke chapter 18. Anyone want a Bible? Anyone? Great. Plenty of time. Woohoo! Dig in. And if the print's too small, it'll also be up on the screen. Now, I'm going to take just this chapter as an example of some of Jesus' teachings where he highlights the role of the marginalized. And we're just going to talk through him for a little bit. So Luke chapter 18 begins with this. Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, In a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. And for some time he refused. Now this widow keeps coming, grant me justice, grant me justice, grant me justice. And he refuses over and over and again. But finally he says to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you that they get justice and quickly. However, when the son of man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Now, in this first example of this persistent widow, we have somebody who is incredibly, strictly, severely marginalized in her community. First of all, she's a woman. So that's a big, eh, you know, like you're not getting anything. Not only is she a woman, she's no longer married and she doesn't have a child, apparently. Most of the time, a lot of times widows, particularly the widow who'd lost her son when Jesus has that compassion and heals and raises the son back to life. This is such an expression of compassion for the marginalized that he goes to a widow, the lowest portion and most vulnerable portion of the society. And he says, let me bring your son back to life. And in this example, he even gives the example of, listen, this unjust judge will even listen to this woman. How much more will God listen to his people who are also oppressed 
Remember, Rome is in charge as Jesus is there, and his people are oppressed, and they are being brutalized under the systems of Rome. So this first example, when Jesus starts to teach, he doesn't just go, hey, by the way, you guys, we should be nice to the widow. No, he makes the marginalized widow the star of the story. It's a complete shift. Then he does it again. He says, to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told them this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance and he would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Make atonement for me. Have mercy on me, a sinner. And then Jesus says, I tell you that this man rather than the other went home justified before God for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Now, Jesus takes this system in place. Now, if I were to suggest to you that Jesus was one particular religious group in his day, he is closest to Pharisee. He agrees with all of their theology, and he has a very good brother-to-brother conversation with them all the time. I know for Christians that sounds crazy because we've always equated Pharisee with hypocrite. But as Kevin mentioned to you last week, it's not all Pharisees. It's those of the Pharisees that are hypocrites. And we would say the same thing about Christians today. It's not all Christians. It's those Christians that are hypocrites. Might be all Christians. I'm just joking. But, you know, because not because it's a Christian problem, but because it's a human problem, right? We all have those moments where we're working our best, but we're not quite living up to what it is we're aiming for. Thank God for Jesus. In any event, just so a quick note to be fair, I want to show you this illustration shows a man in a church praying and a guy outside the door. It's not that this is an issue of a Pharisee. This is an issue of being on the inside versus someone who perceives themselves to be on the outside. See the difference? And who, again, is the hero of Jesus' parable? The marginalized man. The one that's been put out, the one that's not welcomed in at any table, the one that has been destroyed by the system, the one that is unclean, Jesus makes the hero, the teacher of the parable. And now Jesus is going to continue. And he says this, people were also bringing babies to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. And when the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. But Jesus called the children to him and said, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I don't know if you saw recently this wonderful video of this little kid that as the Pope was speaking, starts to interrupt. And if I think about... This is an important event for the Pope. People are coming and trying to get his ear. And this little boy comes... I nostri armadi poi si svuotano delle stiche. Ma nello stesso tempo le nostre vite si riempiono di senza croci. He's still checking out. That's some good necklace. Oh, check that out, Pope. Listen to that guy. That's good stuff. And he's not being pushed. Now, here they're going to come. Hey, why don't you come with us? Watch the kid. No. I know where I'm supposed to be. I'm supposed to be with this guy today. He's got some stuff going on. And as the event continues, look, this child, the Pope is 
meeting somebody who's in deep suffering, who's telling about the problems that have been occurring, this kid decides, that's enough for you. Come here, little girl. Your turn. Come with me. All right, you out, grown up. This girl's waiting. Father, this girl's waiting. Look at, she's like, I don't know, I'm doing this kid's just pulling me along. And just continues throughout this time, this little boy, she's like, say hi to her. Let me hold that for you, thanks. Oh, look at that. That crown thing goes up and down. That's interesting. In front of all of these people, here, they're going to try again. Please come. Nope, nope, I'm, I'm not. You wonder where his parents are. They're like, oh, nope, nope. They try a bribe. He, this child will not leave. Oh, hug. And the Pope smiles and continues to welcome and allows the hug to occur. And now he's going to come and eventually take a seat. He's going to sit in the Pope chair. And he's going to say, like, this looks like a good place to sit down. I've been standing for a while. And, he's, and this, he just stands there. He sits and stands, talking. All, <laughs> everyone's like, we don't know what to do. Like, this kid's just in charge. He's going to walk back and forth the rest of the time. The other children politely sitting where they're supposed to sit, yes? And the Pope continues with his address. And there's the kid sitting in the chair. He's just checking it out, walking around. Now, when I think of Jesus with children, I have that picture in my head. And Jesus says this, truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And we have in picture now, if you've never really pictured what it was like when these children were coming to Jesus and these other people were trying to rebuke the kids and get them away, the disciples like, get out of here, kid. Maybe start picturing that kid. Hey, what's up? No, I'm hanging out with Jesus. I know where I'm supposed to be. And Jesus says, that marginalized little one who's actually set outside in size, not able to hold their own against an adult, that one, be like them and come here. And as Jesus proceeds to continue to teach in this chapter, he then's going to talk about a rich ruler. Rich ruler is going to come and want to follow him. And, you know, I needle, camel, I needle not to scale. And, and he's going to have compassion on that rich ruler. So there's even something there that maybe he understands that even this man is on the outside. And then Jesus is going to talk about his own death and crucifixion. Severely marginalized himself. Jesus came marginalized, came in lowly circumstances. He himself comes as one who is marginalized. And then dies as one who is marginalized, who is set naked before all, humiliated and beaten. And then this chapter ends with the blind beggar who begs, begs for healing and receives it. And as you start to look at all of Jesus's ministry, we start to see that Jesus is inviting everyone, all, to enter the kingdom, the Pharisee and the tax collector, the prostitute and the sinner, the ones on the outside and the ones on the inside are all invited to the table. David Flusser of Blessed Memory talks about the kingdom of heaven like this. He says, the kingdom of heaven is not simply a matter of God's kingship, but also it is the domain of his rule and an expanding realm that embraces ever more and more people. A realm where into which one may enter and find one's inheritance. A realm where there are both great and small. 
This is the kingdom that Jesus is building. It's not just about rule and reign. It's not just about setting things to right. It's about inviting everyone, all, everyone to the table. Outsiders and insiders. It's about the poor, the powerless, the widows, the women, the leprous, the sick, the dying, the dead, the tax collectors, prostitutes, sinners, children, prisoners, beggars, blind, deaf, crippled, Jews, Romans, Gentiles, outsiders, Pharisees, rich, spiritually poor, me, you, them, us, anyone lost or far away, we are all invited. All of us invited. This is what Jesus is constantly showing us through his life and teaching us through his parables by who he makes the center, central character of those parables, who he makes the star. Now, why does Jesus live and listen to those on the margins? Why does he do that? See, we should all go, oh, that's terrible, and run to that on the margin, right? Why does he live and listen to those on the margins? Because those on the margins speak a truth that must be heard by us all. We all need to hear the cry. And if we don't hang out with those on the margins, we don't hear the cry. We all need to take the time to understand, to take the time to listen. Now, why else does Jesus live and go to those on the margins? Because the love and compassion and justice of the Father is on display when we love and live on the margins. I don't know if you saw this picture of Pope Francis, but he is hugging And touching a severely disfigured man. And as this photo was taken, it went viral throughout the whole world. It was on all of the news stations because this man is so severely disfigured with tumors all over his face and his body. And the Pope leapt down and went and hugged and kissed and brought him close. Why does that picture and image go viral? Because it shows the love and compassion of the Father on display. When you and I love the marginalized, when we love, when we touch, when we heal, when we engage, when we go and we meet and we invite, the love and justice of the Father is on display for the whole world. Jesus himself says in Matthew 25, verse 40, Wherever you did unto the one of the least of these, you did it unto me. That when we do this, we get to see in beauty and beautiful and wonderful ways a love expressed not only to our fellow man, but a love expressed back unto Christ himself. Jesus, we love you so much. We will love all. We will bring all to the table. All are welcome here. All are welcome here. Now, Jesus is not talking about all behavior being welcome. But he is talking about all people being welcome. There's this beautiful parable in Luke chapter 14. And I think a lot of times when we, we're going to talk about it in just a minute, when we read these parables, the parable we're going to talk about in Luke 14 is the parable of the banquet. And when we read these parables, we often read them in this very studious way, don't we? We kind of go, well, gee, I wonder what that means. How am I going to become in the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God? What's the Greek behind that? What, is that reflecting an earlier tradition? I wonder what it's quoting. Now, none of Jesus' original hearers are thinking this right? They're sitting and they're listening to this wonderful teacher. Maybe it went something like this. There once was a man 2,000 years ago. His name was Joachim. Joachim had been born blind. He didn't really miss his sight because how do you miss something that you've never had? And as Joachim would wake up in the morning, he would roll over and roll off of his straw mat in this beautiful small little village of Nain in Galilee. And he would feel and touch and sense his wife, Bilha. 
Now, Joaquin knew that Bilha was not the most beautiful woman in the village. That's why she married a blind man. In fact, he heard rumors of her big nose and her warts and her unattractiveness, and maybe people that were sighted would even say she was ugly. But Joaquin knew none of that. Blind from birth, he said, she is good to me, she is loving, and we are able to build a family, and they built one together. Joaquin had long since gotten used to his every day, every morning, having to pull a sash out and wipe the mucus from his eyes. And he'd long gotten used to the smell and the stench that came with that grotesque sight. And so had his wife, Bilha. Now, every morning, Joaquin would get up, and Bilha would make him a small little yogurt drink, and he would sit on his stool, and he would prepare and wash and get ready to go out and try to find wages for the day. And she would say, good luck, my husband. And he would say, may I return in health and with some wealth? And she would equip him with a little small bit of food for the day to have at lunchtime, put in a nice clean sash again, a little cloth into his sash to be able to wipe the mucus from his eyes, give him his staff, and set him off along the road. Now, as Joaquin would walk along the road, he, would, he knew the way, and he would walk, and he would hear the babbling brook, and he would hear the birds singing, and he was very thankful for the life that he had. And he would walk and walk until he got to the village of a landowner named Dositheus. Dositheus was an incredibly wealthy Sadducee. He had his hair cut in the bowl cut. It was silver and gray, like the Roman style. He was clean shaven. And although Joachim had never laid eyes on him, Joachim's imagination was incredibly accurate. For Dositheus was a bit fat for an aft. He was very wealthy, and, and Joaquin could sort of sense this as he would hear his master walk in and out of the space. And this day, Joaquin goes into the very spot where he always sits, and he prays and hopes for some work. And as Joaquin squats down, he's expecting to hear the son of his master, Rufus, or maybe, maybe the master's helper. But instead, today, Dositheus himself comes and says, Joaquin, today is a special day. We have a brand new mill for you to use. You are a very fortunate man. And Joachim says, yes, master, you are correct. I am a very fortunate man. And he says, come with me. Now, Joachim, because he's blind, doesn't see the disgust on Dositheus' face. He doesn't see that as Dositheus and all the others in the household see him, that they kind of reel back from the smell and the stench. Joachim is just pleased to be there and to work. So Dositheus says, come with me. And Joachim follows him, and he senses the, the shuffle and the step of Dositheus as well well-groomed for and aft, a little bit fat. And he walks him into a sheltered area where there's a brand new mill. Now, this mill has a beautiful cone that sits, cone-shaped collar that sits on top of a cone. And Joachim is going to, all day long, grab mill, grab grain with the gourd, and pour it in the top, and then push from left to right, around and around, all day, all day long, and he will grind the grain. And Joachim knows that this is the best work that he can get this day. And he is thankful for it and not at all angry. Now, as Dositheos begins to say, hey, what you're going to do, this is this beautiful new mill that we just got from Capernaum. It's gorgeous. You're going to take the grain. You're going to put it in the top. Joaquin, put your hands here. Joaquin says, I see, I see. And he continues to say, you're going to push it around this way. I see, I see. And Dositheos gets irritated. Why do you keep saying, I see? You can't see. And Joachim says, you know, it is my way to say to the blessed one, holy be he, that though he give me not sight, he give me understanding. And I will push and I will take great joy in it. Now, Dositheus says, fine. He's kind of disgusted with the whole thing and he leaves. So Joachim begins his day and he starts to grind. He's pushing and going around and around. And he hears the pigeons cooing not too far. And he knows that they're pigeons. He's, he's felt a pigeon before. 
But at this point, he likes to imagine that there are angelic voices that sort of cheering him on as he goes. And Joaquin continues to do this. And as he's doing this, he starts to hear in one of his pauses a rustling and something interesting is happening outside and, and a whole bunch of information and everything. People are in a whole scuttlebutt and he hears that there's a teacher coming to town. His name is Yeshua and he's from a town called Netzeret. And everyone's thrilled and excited because there's no greater honor than to invite a sage into your home. So even Dositheos, a good Sadducee, invites the sage in and says, ha, maybe he'll give the workers some encouragement to be hardworking and humble and he'll teach them something good. So he invites all the workers out to go and hear this sage as they sit in the courtyard and take a break from the noonday heat. But they've forgotten Joachim. He's still sitting there, but he said, you know, they've not forbidden me from listening. So he crouches down and he listens in the corner and he starts to hear Yeshua teach. And Yeshua says, to what shall we like in the kingdom of heaven? Pause. No response. Joaquin thinks this is terrible. This brilliant sage has come to town. Somebody should say something. Should what, to what shall we liken it? And somebody says, eventually, a treasure. Ah, yes, a treasure. That's a wonderful way to liken the kingdom of heaven. It's like a treasure that's been found in a field. And you go and you discover this treasure and you go out and you sell everything you can to buy this treasure. Wonderful picture. Excellent. To what else shall we liken the kingdom of heaven? And Dositheos is sitting there, he says, an excellent large harvest. Yes, Dositheos, fantastic. The kingdom of heaven is like a large harvest. And the rich man brought in that large harvest and put it into the storehouses. And he held it all there. But unfortunately, he died. And he was never able to partake of the harvest or share it with anyone else. And Joachim senses the tension in the courtyard as Jesus starts to call out the practices of the rich man. There's some pause. To what else shall we liken the kingdom of heaven? And somebody meekly says, perhaps a, a banquet. Yes, Joachim thought, a banquet. That's good. That's safe. Let's pick banquet. And Joachim's listening in. And then Yeshua says, the kingdom of heaven is like when you give a luncheon and a host, and you, or host a dinner, don't invite your friends, your brothers, or sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, you may be, you may, they may invite you back, and you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. And when one of those at the table with him heard this, they said to Jesus, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast of the kingdom of God. And Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests at the time of the banquet. He sent a servant to tell those who'd been invited, come for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. And then another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. And still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. And the servant came back and reported this to his master. And then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets, the alleys of the town, and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. Sir, they said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. And the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those were invited will get, who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. And Jesus tells this story. Yeshua tells this story in Dositheus' courtyard. And Joachim is listening in and he thinks, this is amazing. 
a banquet where you only invite the poor? A banquet where you provide it and you only invite the lame and the blind? I'm the blind and the crippled. This is amazing. I'm going to go home and do this. And with a renewed vigor, as they all go back to work, he starts to dream of this banquet that he's going to build someday. He wants to follow this advice of this Yeshua sage from Nazareth. And he says, I'm going to go home. He rushes home to Bilhah and he says, wife, we have great news. He's only been paid five small little coins that day. He gives her the money for the day. And he says, tomorrow we're going to throw a banquet. She says, with what money, my husband? No, no, it's going to be wonderful. The most amazing thing happened. The sage came to town. This, this wise rabbi came to town. And he told us that we're to throw a banquet and we're to invite the poor. She says, you're the poor. <laughs> no, no, we're invite." More poor than us. There are no poorer than us. No one is poorer than us. We are the poor. And it must be wonderful. He just continues on with his imagination. We're going to have uh, sweet cakes with honey. She's like, what? He's dried figs. It'll be wonderful. We'll have legumes. It'll be the most amazing. And, and Bilha, we must have meat. Meat. We've never had meat. No, we should have at least a leg of lamb or maybe some turtle doves. She's like, a chicken head. We could afford a chicken head. He's like, no, no. It's got to be a beautiful banquet for the poor. And he's so excited, and he can barely sleep that evening, dreaming of following this rabbi's advice that the kingdom of heaven is like this. It is like something that is coming right now and also to come. It's something that he can bring into existence and also wait for. It's a banquet he can prepare. Well, that night, Bilhah knows that she can't do much, but she digs into that which she has scrolled away over the years, and she pulls out a few very good, very precious coins, and she starts to think, how will we today build this banquet for my husband. He works hard. He suffers a lot. I'll try to do it. Well, the next day, as she's starting to think this out, Joachim runs back to work with renewed vigor. He's ready again to go and work for Dositheos. And as he goes and he starts the grind, the master Dositheos comes bursting in. Joachim, Joachim, Joachim. What is it, master? You must come with me at once. Again, the fat fore and aft leads the way. And Joachim follows after Dositheos, and he goes into this beautiful portion of Dositheos' home. And Dositheos says, Joachim, you sit here in this chair. You sit right here. I have to tell you about a dream I had last night. And Joachim says, yes, master. He says, it was the most terrible dream. I dreamed that I had died, and I was, I was in Sheol, and there was a great chasm between you and me. And as I looked across that chasm, I saw Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and you, Joachim, in your cloak with the patches. He says, my cloak with the patches, I was hoping for a new cloak in the life to come. It was still, it was threadbare. I knew it was you. And there you were. And I said, Joachim, come get me. He said, I cannot come get you. You must cross over. What must I do to cross over? The fair is a denarius. I only have 11 coins. 12 make a denarius. What can I do, Joachim? And you couldn't help me and you couldn't help me cross over. And I was stuck. I was stuck, separated, and I couldn't do anything. Joaquin, what does this dream mean? And Joaquin sat back and he thought he pulled on his beard. He wiped the mucus from his eyes and he said, Master, I've been looking for someone poorer than me to come to my banquet tonight. Will you come? And Dositheos said, I see. As Jesus tells these stories, he speaks them into a community that starts to live them out that day. 
They start to take hold of them that moment. They start to look and say, who is poorer than I? Who can I bring to the table? Who is marginalized? Who is on the outside? What can I do here? And the Jesus ethic for us today is to do the same. Jesus listens to those on the margins. He goes to those on the margins. He learns from those on the margins. He advocates for those on the margins, loves those on the margins, invites those on the margins, invites insiders to join his table and love those on the margins. His movement, we are building his movement with those on the margins. And Jesus comes as and lives as one marginalized. Will we follow him? Will we invite others? Will we follow The Jesus ethic is that social outcasts and the oppressed are honored guests in the kingdom. That the coming fullness of God's rule will all bring about justice for the outsiders. Justice will finally come for those on the outside. We know we're bringing a message of hope and we know we're bringing a message of Jesus when tax collectors and sinners gather around. If we don't have a message that brings the outsiders in, we might need to revisit what it is we're communicating. If our message of Jesus counts out people rather than counts in people, we might have to revisit how we are communicating the message of Christ. Mother Teresa said, Let us touch the dying, the poor, the lonely, and the unwanted according to the graces we have received, and let us not be ashamed or slow to do the humble work. These are the people we look at and we say, yes, even those who aren't Christians, even those who make fun of Christians, even those who feel like we don't get it right, when they look at the work of those that are living amongst the marginalized, those who are loving the poor, they start to point back to the truth of Jesus' message. So whether we're looking at the leprous or those who have exiled themselves on Wall Street or poverty, or Iraqi Christians, or those struck with disease and addiction and all of the things that ail this world, whatever it is we are looking at, when we're watching the news on Ferguson, whatever it is we are looking at, now we want to take the time to listen, to understand, to experience life with those on the margins. This is the call of Christ, and it is a good news call. Right now, I want to invite up a friend of mine, Pastor Marcus. Uh, We've been engaged and talking about things for many years, um, and specifically presently in this moment, I asked him to help lead us in a prayer for those marginalized. In our community, as we look at the things that are happening in our world at large, Specifically, as we look at the dialogue surrounding the events that have been occurring in Ferguson. Come on up, Pastor Marcus. We are often at a loss. We don't really know what to do. We don't know how to help. We don't have words to express. We see that things aren't right. And we just wanted to take some time to at least take the first step, which is what we can pray. Can we not pray? Can we not pray that our hearts be changed? And can we not pray for those that feel and hurt and are lost and on the outside. And can we not pray for them to come in? Pastor Marcus. Thank you. Uh, So it's going to be a call and response prayer in regards to um, just those who are on the outside. And we're going to pray for various groups. So um, let's try this. Uh, We're going to, I'll say something like, in your mercy. And you guys say, 
Lord, hear our prayer. Um, so let us pray together. I'll do a call and response, but, you know, in your mercy, hear our prayer. So in your mercy. Thank you. All right. All right. So let us pray together for all the women and children who are drowned out by the noise of our daily lives. God hears and holds those close to his heart. Lord, hear our prayer. For those deprived of their human rights and their human needs and dignity, may they be given, may they be given the dignity which God confers on all his people in your mercy. For those who are forgotten and thrown away, especially those who, would, who are on the streets without a place to stay or those who are in prisons feeling alone, who are in prisons feeling lonely. May God give us the compassion to change our heart for the poor, the sick, and in prison in your mercy. For that lonely teenager who's on the street for whatever reason or another, or those who are taking care of relatives in hospice, for those who may feel alone and isolated by the body of Christ in your mercy. For those places in the world torn apart by strife, Nigeria, Ukraine, places such as Iraq, the West Bank, and Israel, in your mercy. For those of us who are, we ask, Lord God, for the community of Ferguson, Missouri, Heavenly Father, that those brothers and sisters who feel on the outside, marginalized by uh, a system that maybe feel, feel corrupt or they feel that they're not heard or listened to. May we in the body of Christ be the ear to hear the brothers and sisters for those who feel marginalized by law enforcement and for those who are on the side of law enforcement. In your mercy. And for anybody who's felt cast off by the church. For anybody who's felt like they may struggle with who they are and they just want a place to worship freely. They just want a place to understand you, but they are afraid of your people. In your mercy. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this body. Heavenly Father, I thank you for our leaders here. And Lord, I thank you that you are the God of the widow, the orphan, and those on the outside. I bless your name for Exodus 22, and you follow it up over and over again, Heavenly Father, with the, that we as your people should have a heart for anybody who's on the outside. And I thank you, Heavenly Father, for that great day when we'll all get to see you and there'll be a great banquet, Heavenly Father. And in your mercy, Lord, hear our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.